this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. Recently, Jeff Parker, our worship leader, had an encounter of a lifetime as he walked in the footsteps of Jesus in the Holy Land. Today, I've asked Jeff to describe his encounter with all of us so that we might have a little encounter as well. Man, what, what an opportunity to go and to be there, to walk in the, literally walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Man, it brings, brings the scriptures to life. This morning, I want to, uh, I want to take you on a short piece of our, uh, of our trip, a very, just one, mainly one location, but I just want to take you, take you there and let you experience it the best that you can. I tried to get some, some footage to share with you of the place we're going to be looking at today. When Steve asked us, uh, Steve asked us to choose a person, he said, uh, he said, we're going to talk about the encounter of a lifetime, all these different people who encountered Jesus, like Peter on the, at, uh, at uh, Mount Hermon. Um, things like that. Choose a person who had an encounter with Jesus and it made all the difference. It just changed the world. And so being the weirdo that I am, I, rather than choosing some guy who had an encounter with Jesus and, he, and it made all the difference in the world for the good, I chose one who had an encounter with Jesus and it did not turn out so well for him. We're going to talk about a guy named Caiaphas this morning. And as we do, um, there's a place where we went when we were in Israel. We went to, uh, went to, his, went to his house, and we went, when we went, uh, we read a scripture together as a group, uh, Psalm 88, at the beginning and at the end of our time in this place that I want to share with you. And we're going to do that today. I want to read that at the beginning, and hopefully by the end of this message, when we read it again, it'll really hit home with you. Psalm 88, let's read it together. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry, to, I cry out to you by day. I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer, listen to my cry. For my life is full of troubles and death draws near. I am as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. They have left me among the dead and I lie like a corpse in a grave. I am forgotten, caught off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down. You wave, with wave after wave, you've engulfed me. You have driven my friends away by making me repulsive to them. I am in a trap with no way of escape. My eyes are blinded by my tears. Each day I beg for your help, O Lord. I lift my hands to you for mercy. Are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead? Do the dead rise up and praise you? Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Can the darkness speak of your wonderful deeds? Can anyone in the land of forgetfulness talk about your righteousness? Oh, Lord, I cry out to you. I will keep on pleading day by day. Oh, Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? I have been sick and close to death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate before your terrors. 
Your fierce anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have paralyzed me. They swirl around me like flood waters all day long. They have engulfed me completely. You have taken away my companions and loved ones. Darkness is now my closest friend. So to make the, to make the, uh, the journey to the promised land, there's nothing like it. I would encourage if you ever had the opportunity, some of you may never get to go, but if you ever had the opportunity, it is an investment. It's not just a trip. It's an investment, a spiritual investment um, to encounter the sites uh, that, that, uh, that bring the Bible to life, the things where these happen. Man, it is quite an encounter. But I think, you know, the people who were in these times, who encountered Jesus eye to eye and face to face, those were the guys who had the encounter of a lifetime. Can you imagine being in that day and getting to have a literal one-to-one meeting with Jesus? What an honor and a privilege it was to witness his miracles, to know about them, not just hear and see about them later, but as they are happening. That is the encounter of a lifetime. But anyone who meets Jesus experiences the encounter, the most important encounter of their lifetime. But being there, it illuminates details that we might otherwise not have seen in the scriptures. Sort of like the ones we're going to talk about today. We're going to read some scriptures, but they tell very little of the story that you get to see with your own eyes when you're there. But we'll do the best that we can to share that with you. Some who have encountered Jesus face-to-face in those days, some were healed. Some, uh, their lives were transformed forever. Some were even raised from the dead. And still for others, they left unsatisfied. But for us, for, for all of us, the question is going to be this. What do you do with Jesus when you encounter him? What do you do with Jesus? This is the question that all of us are going to have to answer, and the question I would like for you to be thinking about today. What will I do with Jesus? Some encounter Jesus at the moment of, uh, just the moment of their desperation. Some uh, encounter Jesus very early in life. Some have an encounter with Jesus very late in life, on their deathbed. Um, Some people have already made up their mind about who Jesus is before they ever do encounter him as we'll see with the guy we're going to talk about today. For that was the case for the high priest in A.D. 33. His name was Joseph Caiaphas, or Joseph Bar Caiaphas, or Josephus tells us that he was the son of Caiaphas, but that's simply what we call him, and that's what the Scriptures refer to him as, is Caiaphas. Um, interestingly enough, his name was Joseph, and he had a son named Yeshua, which means Jesus. <laughs> Go figure. Anyway, that has nothing to do with our message. I just thought it was interesting when I was studying about the guy. But he was the son-in-law to Annas, who was the high priest, not right before him, but before that. Um, So he was the son-in-law to Annas, who had served as high priest. And uh, when he had the encounter of a lifetime, Caiaphas, with Jesus, he came to some bad conclusions, some very bad conclusions. And we're going to look at them today. The first conclusion he came to is this. Jesus is a threat. And that's your first fill in the blank. Jesus is a threat. Well, how do we know that? Well, let's consider. 
First of all, his response to Lazarus' resurrection. No doubt you've heard about the story of Lazarus. We're going to jump to John 11. And in John 11, we read how Lazarus was raised up from the dead by Jesus. This happened right before Jesus went into Jerusalem for the Passover as he was getting ready to go to the cross. He raised Lazarus up from the dead. And Caiaphas receives news about this. Now, this would be the obvious sign. They've been, they've been hearing about him healing people and healing countless people and saying some very bold things. But now, word has reached the temple that this man just raised a guy from the dead in front of everybody. And he's, everybody knew he was dead. He's been dead for days. And now he's walking around. You can have a conversation with him. Is this guy Lazarus? Was he this great wealthy man? No, he was just... Very poor guy, a friend of Jesus. But this is big news. And when the news reached Caiaphas, he was faced with an important decision. Do I relinquish my power? It's hard to argue with that. It's one thing when you look at some of these frauds on, on the TV evangelists and stuff who, who, you know, push you and you fall out and oh, you're healed, um, you know, and they say, oh, that's a setup. It's kind of hard to set up a guy who's been dead for a few days and they thought he stinks by now. Don't open the grave. And then he goes up and Jesus opens the grave and brings new life into Lazarus and he comes forth. It's hard to argue with that. And when it reached Caiaphas here, he couldn't argue with it either. He said, there's no doubt we've heard some miraculous things, so what do I do now? He was faced with a decision to make. If he is the Messiah, which it's obvious, but if he is the Messiah, this means I've got to relinquish my power because he has come to reign as king. Caiaphas was a very wealthy, very wealthy man. And you'll see that here shortly. When we went to Capernaum, we saw um, very, uh, very small houses, like the whole city. You can look over the city and see every house. And like you think those popular tiny houses are little. These houses in Capernaum were teeny tiny, right? Um, tiny houses. Caiaphas lived in what would have been a palace. Huge, huge place. That's one of the locations, uh, the authentic locations that we can travel to today and tour uh, that place where Jesus was tried there, the place where Caiaphas lived. But it would be a bold move for him, the high priest, to publicly say, okay, we accept it. He's the Messiah. He must be. Because to do that, not only would he have to relinquish his authority and his position, but he would also have to do so before the Romans who had occupied their land. And if I'm wrong, <laughs> I could be in serious trouble here. As a matter of fact, Caiaphas had been placed in that position of high priest by the Romans, by Gratus, who was the governor before Pilate. He cared very much about his position, so he had to decide, I'm gonna have to lose the whole world, my whole world, if I admit this guy's the Messiah. Is it worth it? Well, Jesus said it was. He says, if any of you want to be my follower, here's what you gotta do. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. That doesn't sound appealing. If you try to hang on to your life, though, you will lose it. 
But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? No career in this lifetime is worth your soul. You say, well, to follow Jesus means I've got to get, I've got to be at worship with other believers. I've got to do that every week. I've got to change the way I talk, the way I act, the way I, the, the things I'm doing. I like me. I like the things I do. I like my job. I like my boyfriend. I like my girlfriend. I like my current whatever. We know that we have to make some changes when we come to Jesus because that's what he's going to want. We don't change before we come to Jesus. He wants to transform your life. But knowing that's what he's going to do, some people are afraid of losing their world. But Jesus says, you will lose your life if you try to hang on to it. But if you will lose your life for my sake, you will find real life. He's the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. So let's look at John 11. Look at that story about Lazarus. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. That would be the Sanhedrin. <coughs> Excuse me. What are we going to do, they asked each other. They were all in the same boat as Caiaphas, by the way. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs, but if we allow him to go on like this, soon everywhere will, everyone will believe in him, and then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. They forget that was the house of the Lord. It had become all about them. Then Caiaphas, who was the high priest at the time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. He wasn't wrong about that. He did not say this of his own as the high priest at the time. He was led to prophesy when he said that, that Jesus would die for the entire nation. And not only for the nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. They weren't willing to relinquish their place. Some of your translations said, may say that when they said, um, when he says the Romans are going to take our, our, our temple and, uh, uh, you know, and, and our nation. Uh, some of your translations may say they'll take our place. So they, were, they weren't worried about the house of the Lord being destroyed. They were worried about their position, their authority in this world. To be willing to give all of that up. That's the reason that one of the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus, went to Jesus, the Bible says, under the cover of night to question him because it was a serious deal. I don't want to be seen with it. I don't want to jeopardize my position. There's a great number of people. Um, as I was store, I, I found something interesting when I was studying this guy. There's a great number of people. <coughs> who believe that uh, when Jesus told the parable about the rich man and Lazarus, that he was um, not telling a direct story, but making references to Caiaphas and to his friend Lazarus here. Consider this. A parable is a story that, uh, it's, a, it's a fictional story that tells, uh, that teaches a lesson, right? Well, what you don't normally hear in a parable 
our actual names, but this guy had a name. His name was Lazarus. Jesus tells the story, says there was this rich man, which many believe to be a reference to Caiaphas, but there was this rich man who, he, he cared nothing for Lazarus, who was a poor man. He said, wouldn't even give him the crumbs from his table. And uh, well, basically, one, one day Lazarus dies, and the rich man dies as well, as we all do. The Lazarus goes into the arms of Abraham in, in paradise, and the rich man dies, and he goes to hell, and he's in torment. By the way, anybody tries to tell you that is, a, that is not a real place, the Bible talks more about hell than it does about heaven. It is a very real place. And so as this rich man, Jesus says, is in heaven, I mean, in hell, in torment, he says, he, he, he cries out because at that place, at that time, you gotta understand the place of rest that Lazarus, that Abraham were in was not heaven because Jesus had not yet died. But they were in a place of rest. But there was a separation between the two. And he says, Abraham, send Lazarus to dip his finger in water just to cool my tongue because I'm in torment. Abraham said, that's not going to happen because those that are here can't get to there and those that are where you are can't come here. It's not going to happen. He says, well, then at least do this. He says, send Lazarus back from the dead to warn my five brothers. And Abraham, you remember what he tells him? He says, if, he says, they have the law and they have the prophets. If they can't trust the law and the prophets, they're not going to believe even if one does come from the dead. And it's only after Jesus tells that story, Lazarus, his friend, by name, dies. And Jesus brings him back from the dead. Interestingly enough, Caiaphas was not only a wealthy man, he had five brother, uh, five brother-in-laws who, who um, were also uh, of the priestly line of Annas. But when this story reached Caiaphas' ears, it meant nothing to him. He cared nothing about Lazarus. He cared nothing about the miracle Jesus did. All he could think about was himself, his position, his wealth, whatever. Whatever it was that kept him in the Sanhedrin. He says, you've got the law and the prophets. They did. Who knew the scriptures better than the high priest? Or who should have known the scriptures better than the high priest? You know, the sad thing is this. At this point, um, most, uh, most of the priestly line, they, most of them were Sadducees. Most of them have become completely political. But they were Sadducees. There's a difference between Pharisees and Sadducees. Pharisees believe in all of the Old Testament, right? The Sadducees do not. They only care about the Torah. They don't believe in a resurrection of the dead. They don't believe, most of them don't even believe in an afterlife. And these were the guys. This was your high priest at the temple. Can you believe that? Most of the Sanhedrin, all Sadducees. According to Josephus, the Jewish historian. Nevertheless, his prophecy was spot on, wasn't it? He says, isn't it better that one guy, this guy needs to die. Isn't it better that one guy dies to save the whole, our whole nation? <laughs> and that's exactly what he would do. But he came to some bad conclusions. The second reason was because his, uh, you look at his response to Judas's betrayal. Look at Matthew 26, and we're going to kind of hang out right here for today. Look at Matthew 26, verse 3. 
So at that same time, the leading priests and elders were meeting at the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, and they were plotting how they would capture Jesus secretly and kill him. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? They gave him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. We saw some of those 30 pieces, some of those uh, pieces of silver, didn't we, Justin? I think you got one, didn't you? Justin got one, a, uh, one of those same pieces of silver that Judas uh, received 30 pieces of. By the way, that's a very meager sum of money. It was the same amount of money that uh, in those days that you could get paid if your, um, if your, uh, if your slave was gored by an ox. <laughs> As a matter of fact, the prophecy that this fulfilled when it happened was in Zechariah 11. Uh, Zechariah, the prophet, was told, I want you to play the part of the, uh, of the shepherd. And I want you to go... Uh, as you play the part of the shepherd, and this foreshadowed Jesus. He says, you play the part of the shepherd. He says, and I want you to go, and when you tell these guys what you're going to do, I'm going to be the shepherd here, and you just pay me what you think I'm worth. So these guys who were shepherds, like, okay, 30 pieces of silver. Here you go. And he's like, well, that's a handsome sum. He said it kind of sarcastically because it was a very small amount of money. He says, that's, that's all he's worth, 30 pieces of silver, like a slave. And so uh, he takes the silver, and uh, God told him to take it to the, uh, take it to the temple. And uh, as you throw it into the temple, give it to the potter. So, um, interestingly enough, that's what happens. They take it, uh, they take, when, G, uh, when, when P, uh, excuse me, when Judas uh, starts feeling guilty about what he did, he takes the 30 pieces of silver back to the temple and he tosses it back into the temple the same place where Zechariah tossed the 30 pieces of silver. And he says, I've, I've betrayed innocent blood and they're like, what's it to us? Leave. And then they say, well, what do we do with these 30 pieces of silver? And Kaffa says, well, we, it's blood money. We can't really put it in the temple treasury. Uh, he says, go buy the field from the potter. Go buy the potter's field. And we'll start burying the people, the Gentiles, the people we don't care about there. And that's also where Judas went and hanged himself. A man who knew the scriptures couldn't draw the connection here. The second thing that he, the second, uh, second bad conclusion that Caiaphas came to, and this is your next blank, Jesus is a liar. It's got to be. And so he had already made this up for him. Uh, you know, he already had this in his mind to begin with. He was guilty before trial. How do we know this? Well, okay, so guilty before trial, here's what happens. First of all, he's questioned. Look at verse 57. <clears throat> then the people who had arrested Jesus led him to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of religious law and the elders had gathered. And meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and came to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and he sat down with the guards and he waited to see how it all would end. Inside the house, the leading priests and the entire high council, the Sanhedrin, were trying to find witnesses who would lie about Jesus. 
so that they could put him to death. Whatever it takes. But even though they found many who agreed to give false witness, they could not use anyone's testimony. Nobody's testimony agreed. Finally, two men came forward who declared, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. The law said if something, two people agree, then the matter is established. So they had two people who finally agreed. Then the high priest stood up and he asked Jesus this. Can you imagine? He was face to face with Jesus. And he says, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But when Jesus remained silent, the high priest said, I demand in the name of the living God, you tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus replied, you've said it. And in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Caiaphas was given the encounter of a lifetime face to face with his maker. And even though he asks him these questions, it was a formality for him. He had already made up his mind about Jesus. I don't care if he's a Messiah. I don't care who he is. I, I will not accept this guy. But he asks him, this is grounds to put this man to death and to shut him up. Are you the Messiah? And Jesus couldn't have been more plain to him. So, um, every, you, you got to understand this. Every high priest up to the point of Caiaphas had been forcefully removed from his position. To understand the mind of this guy and why he did this, uh, Caiaphas, like I said, had been put in his position because Gratus, the governor before Pilate, placed him in that position when he removed forcefully the guy before him. And so Caiaphas cared so much about his position that uh, history teaches us that Caiaphas was actually the longest reigning high priest uh, under Roman rule. And eventually he himself was deposed as well of his position. So he was not able to hang on to it either. But he traded Jesus for a position, for authority that wasn't even his to keep. In fact, the whole priestly order had become more political uh, than spiritual. So it's not like, you know, it's not unlike the... Uh, it's not unlike our politicians today. They'll say anything they can to hold on to the position. If you notice that, uh, you know, they'll say something. You can look back at these videos and say, oh, he flip-flopped on an issue. No, my mind has changed about it. But really what it is, these politicians, they don't care if you're left, right, middle, where you are. They all pretty much want to hang on to the positions and they'll say whatever they can to get your vote. Nothing has changed. Nothing was different then. It was, it, was, it was all political. And as, uh, as Fote, uh, our tour guide, always put it, he said, faith pays the bills. My faith pays my bills. It's true. Um, 
So Jesus, uh, Jesus was questioned uh, before Annas, before he was brought to Caiaphas, and then they brought him to Caiaphas um, at his house there, but it was all a facade. They simply wanted to shut him up. And secondly, he's condemned. Verse 65, And the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror, and he said, Blasphemy! Why do we need any other witness? You've all heard his blasphemy. Now what is your verdict? Guilty, they shouted. He deserves to die. Then they began to spit on Jesus' face, to beat him with their fists, and some slapped him, jeering, prophesied to us, you Messiah. Who hit you that time? And he just endured it for you and for me. He could have said that was Bob, that was Tom, that was George, great Jewish names. <laughs> he knew, he knew who was hitting him. He knew those were, were spitting on him. He knew everything about him. But he stood there and he endured the ridicule. He endured the punishment. And after this was done, while they decided how they would proceed from here, they threw him in the, they would have thrown him into the dungeon there at Caiaphas' house until morning when they would take him to Pilate. I want you to take a moment and watch this video as we go to the house of Caiaphas together. Overlooking the Kidron Valley and the Mount of Olives, just outside of the old city wall, sits the Church of St. Peter in Galicanti. <coughs> the church marks the location that we authentically know to be the house of Joseph Caiaphas, the high priest in AD 33. It was up these very steps that Jesus was brought after being arrested and brought before Annas to be tried again and locked away in a dungeon before being brought before Pilate. It was here in the courtyard that Peter denied Jesus three times. Up these very steps we see here, Jesus was brought to and away from the place where he would be convicted and sent away to the Romans. As we climb the stairs and into the house, we come through a hallway, passing several rooms, and we make our way to a larger room, which is likely the place where Jesus would have been brought before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council there, as well as other people who had been brought in for the conviction of Jesus. Here, Jesus was tried, convicted, and beaten, ridiculed, slapped, mocked, and imprisoned. Here in the dungeon area, believers can be heard singing songs and reading from the book of Psalms. It's here in the dungeon that Peter and John were brought when they were imprisoned in the book of Acts. They would tie you up, beat you, and throw you into a cell such as this one that Jesus was placed in. This dungeon is actually a cistern that was converted into a dungeon, so it would have been knee-deep in water, or at the very least, thick mud. The prisoner is lowered via a rope through a hole where he would spend the night until he's pulled out the next morning to be convicted. 
windows allow the soldiers to peep in and keep an eye on their prisoner until the next morning where Jesus would make his way back down these same steps we see here as he's brought before Pilate to be tried, convicted, and murdered. One of the most powerful places in all of Israel that I could set my feet. They're in the cell that we know Jesus spent the night. To put your hands on the wall and touch the places where Jesus stood all night long because he couldn't lay down. The same hand that carved the Grand Canyons, that formed and knit me in my mother's womb. Moving on to verse 1 and 27, it says, Then very early in the morning, the leading priests and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. Then they bound him up again, and they led him away, and they took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. And here Jesus was ordered to be flogged to the point of near death with a cat of nine tails, a strap, nine strips of leather with pieces of lead, pieces of metal, um, and pieces of, uh, pieces of bone that would cut through your flesh. Jesus was beaten for your sin and for mine as a fulfillment to the prophets and everything that was foretold about him. And he would have been strapped to something like this flagellation stone. This is uh, at the tomb, um, at the uh, Church of the Holy Sepulchre. There is a, um, a stone here that the Romans would tie a person to and they would beat them. And it's, and it's traditionally believed that this is the stone that Jesus was tied to when he took that punishment. But this wasn't enough for Caiaphas. They brought Jesus back out near death and said, what do we do now? And he said, crucify him. We want him dead. And so he says, what's Passover? I can turn over one. It's a custom. I'll turn over one guy to you, uh, one of your prisoners. I'll just release Jesus to you. And they said, no, give us the, the murderer. Give us the criminal. Give us Barabbas. That name Barabbas means, Bar means son of, and Abbas or Abba means father. So his name was literally son of the father. They traded the son of the father for the son of the father. We see the story of the scapegoat taking place here. And Barabbas is you and me. That's us. The last sad conclusion that Caiaphas came to is Jesus is dead. That's what he wanted. That's what all this meeting was about. Jesus is dead. And to make sure of it, first thing they wanted to do is crucify his body. And so they led him to a place called Golgotha, which there's two different locations for Golgotha. One is where we saw the flagellation stone. Um, this is Golgotha. This is Skull Hill. Um, they built a church around it, and you can only kind of see into the mountain through windows throughout the church. 
But right here, you see a big crack in the stone, a big crack in the mountain that the Bible says when Jesus died, there was a great earthquake and the mountain split. The, the, it split right there, and that's what you're looking at. But this is Golgotha. And then uh, there's the other location for Golgotha, Skull here, Skull Hill here. It looks like, a, looks like a skull, but traditionally, the first location, pretty sure that's where it happened. But regardless, what happened is they led him there after they uh, beat him and put a crown of thorns onto him, when we were at the Mount of Olives, um, there was a thorn bush growing there that grew the th same kind of thorns. They call them uh, Christ thorns, I think. And uh, a nice guy cut this for me. But uh, as you can see, these are extremely sharp. I've already been stuck pretty good with them a couple of times. These thorns are like this big. But to put a crown of thorns around his head in mockery, nailed him to this cross, and he died. And to make sure of it, when they crucified him, they also, his, he was our Passover lamb. His legs were never broken like the criminals on either side. But to make sure he was dead, they took and they pierced his side and the blood and the water. The Bible says the blood and the water mixed came out. Reminding us of how, the, of how the sacrifices were made at the temple. And the high priest would go and they would get these, and go to these mikvahs that we saw all over the place. This is where the high priest Caiaphas and other priests would go. They would go down into the water there and they would purify themselves before their, before their ceremonies. But then they would get water from these mikvahs and they would go, once the sacrifices are made, they would pour this purifying water on the altar. Jesus told the woman at the well, he said, if you would ask me, he said, I'll give you living water and you'll never thirst again. When Jesus died and his blood was spilled and the blood and the water came out there, you and I are purified. If you are covered in the blood of Christ and you make him your Lord, your first command is be baptized. Show people what I've done for you, that he has purified you. When we go into the waters of baptism, the waters of baptism do not purify you, but it was that water, that blood that flowed that day. That's what purifies you if you come to Christ. Caiaphas missed it. But to make sure he's dead, he also sealed his tomb. He went to Pilate and he asked, he says, well, we heard it said, this guy said he's gonna rise from the dead in three days, so put some soldiers there and seal the tomb. And he's like, whatever you can do, I'll, I'll command them, I'll send them. And under pain of death, those soldiers had to stand and guard a tomb of a dead guy. And they sealed the tomb up per Caiaphas' request. We have a couple of sealed gates. We found sealed gates all over Jerusalem, all, all, all over Israel, by the way. At Tel Dan, the destroyed city, here's a big city gate here, and you can see in the middle, it's sealed up with dirt. You can't remove it now or the whole thing will fall apart. But one of the, one of the greatest gates that's sealed up is this next one, the Eastern Gate. You recognize Jerusalem here. Well, this gate over here, let's look a little closer. This gate over here is the Eastern Gate. This is where Jesus went uh, when he went on the, uh, into the city, the triumphal entry. Palm Sunday, if you will. Now, this has been destroyed and rebuilt. Um, 
And it's actually sitting on top of, they've discovered the gate that Jesus actually went through. It's sitting on top of that. But this is the eastern or the beautiful gate. It is sealed up. And just as they've sealed this gate, Caiaphas wanted to seal the gospel more than just a tomb. He wanted to seal the truth. He wanted to seal everything, to seal the name of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. You can't seal the name of Jesus Christ. You cannot seal Jesus' tomb because he was going to resurrect no matter what. Those soldiers didn't stand a chance. That tomb, the sealing around the tomb, it did not stand a chance for Jesus Christ was indeed resurrected. And he, you can't stop him. You might seal up the eastern gate, but the scriptures tell us that just as Jesus told Caiaphas there in his house, he said, I'm coming back and you're going to see me coming in my glory and you're going to see me coming, um, uh, you know, standing next to the right hand of the Father and you'll see me coming in the clouds and, and all of my glory. And the Bible tells us that he's going to walk through that gate, whether it's sealed or not. And if you couldn't seal, if you couldn't seal the tomb and keep him out, I promise you, you can't seal the gate and keep him out because he's coming back on a white horse one day. And when he comes, he's coming back and his name is faithful and true. And he has the tattoo on his leg that says, I'm the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. The question is, you've encountered Jesus. You've heard his story this morning. Do you know why he went into that pit? It was for you. Because you and I were dead in our own pit. But Jesus exchanged places with you and he went to the pit. For how can those who are dead proclaim the righteousness and the gratefulness and the faithfulness of our God? He went to the pit instead. So the question is, what are you going to do about it now? We're going to read, I want to reread that Psalm 88 and we'll close out. And I hope it makes, I hope you can take this to heart a little better now. I want you to see what we saw as we read it the second time. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day. I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer, listen to my cry. For my life is full of troubles and, my, and death draws near. I'm as good as dead like a strong man with no strength left. They have left me among the dead. And I lie like a corpse in a grave. I am forgotten, cut off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down. With wave after wave, you have engulfed me. You have driven my friends away by making me repulsive to him. Remember the disciples abandoned him, even Jesus there in that house, at that house, denied him. I'm in a trap with no way of escape. My eyes are blinded by my tears. Each day I beg for your help, O oh Lord. I lift my hands to you for mercy. Are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead, though? Do the dead rise up and praise you? Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Can the darkness speak of your wonderful deeds? Can anyone in the land of forgetfulness talk about your righteousness? O oh Lord, I cry out to you. 
I will keep on pleading day by day. Oh, Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? I have been sick and close to death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate before your terrors. Your fierce anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have paralyzed me. They swirl around me like flood waters all day long. They have engulfed me completely. You've taken away my companions and loved ones, and now darkness is my closest friend. Guys, he entered the darkness that you might enter the light of his salvation. He died that you might live. He was resurrected that you might be one day sharing in his resurrection and receive a new body as he did, made new. But the question must be answered, and this is your last blank. What will you do with Jesus? Jesus.